poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest is a blast from the past, Jimmy Gababoy Fricky. Sometimes when you don't hear a poker player's name for a while in the media, you can't help but wonder what happened to them, with a typical follow-up thought being, I really hope they're okay. In today's show, you'll be happy to learn that not only is Jimmy okay, but he's thriving in a world totally outside of poker, which to those of us who have felt locked inside the game with no way out is a massive, massive accomplishment. Back in 2006, Jimmy burst into the poker limelight after a scorching hot run on the online felt and capped off that torrid run with a second place finish in January at the 2007 Aussie Millions main event for a $795,000 score. Incredibly, Jimmy was only 19 years old. A year and a half later, once he had come of legal age in Las Vegas, he would take down the 5K Bellagio Cup 4 for another $443,000 score. And as Jimmy's MTT career faded into the background over the next couple of years, he discovered a new love, Mixed Games. It was in that arena that he followed his bliss, plied his trade, and paid his way through life over the next decade until his eventual pivot out of the world of poker and into the world of business. As a personal aside, in our time together, I found Jimmy to be gracious, humble, and extremely generous, and I feel honored to have gotten the opportunity to sit down and learn more about his poker journey. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you an OG of online poker and longtime poker professional, the one and only Jimmy Frickie. Jimmy Frickie, take two on my pronunciation of your name. Um, I'm already uh, already running bad here, coin flip, starting out. How you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, it's what I do. You know, we hear the stories of folks who have lived a life in the poker world for, you know, any length of time and found success. So typical question starting out, you know, what is this, your journey into the world of poker? Like, what does that look like? It's been a long time now. Um, How old are we? Let's set the timeline. I am 34 um, right now, but I got into poker, I guess, half my life ago. Uh, I was 17. I actually, uh, so I kind of like made the jump from from card game to card game, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic. And then my Magic buddies, we met once a week. And I was like in high school, I want to say I was a sophomore or junior high school. I guess I had to be a junior. And I was going to the neighboring uh, town to the University Magic Club. Uh, this was the University of Illinois uh, at Urbana-Champaign. And, uh, and all, like, those were my friends. Like, that was my group of friends. Like, I've always generally hung out with people who are a few years older than me. And so they started getting really into poker. And I 
wasn't interested at all, honestly. I just wanted to keep playing Magic. I thought that was the greatest game ever. And then eventually they just like kind of stopped inviting me to Magic stuff because they were just all playing poker all the time. And then I was just like, okay, I guess I kind of have to get into this thing. And uh, so I asked one of them to teach me and he was like happy to do so because they were doing this rakeback thing. And uh, <laughs> he was like happy to sign me up just to get rake back from me. Um, and th- this was in 2005. So, yeah, 2005, maybe late 2004, um, where everyone was still playing limit cash games. Like, no limit cash games hadn't taken off yet. They they were like brand new on party poker. Um, yeah, they were like 50 big blinds, weird, yeah, and small stakes. There was literally no advice on how to play like no limit hold'em. Like, it just didn't exist. This was like, and then the year after this was when all like the literature started coming out. Um, but it was all from like, you know, people who had no idea what they were doing. Completely different universe. And then eventually I started playing and then they they all told me stick to cash game. Tournaments are stupid. Donkments, LOL, etc. And I just wanted to play tournaments. So I just kept like playing MTTs and sit and goes with like extra money. Um, I was running awful at cash games and I'm sure it was terrible too. Um, so, but eventually I got second in like a $20, $20 tournament for like 35 fundo more money but in 10 times more money than i'd ever had in my life and then do you remember the feeling of snapping off 3500 it was like three in the morning i was started like hyperventilating i lost my mind i woke my mom up and my sister and was just like losing my shit and they were just like just take it out just take it out uh (laughs) And then, uh, like, I talked with uh, the guys about what to do. They were like, in a tournament, really? We told you not to play these tournaments. (laughs) I'm not very good at listening to instructions. Um, And so they told me, okay, great. Now you have, like, an actual, like, bankroll to play cash on. And, like, I still wasn't very good. Like, I definitely just got, like, absurdly lucky to, like, do anything in the tournament. Um, So I lost most of it back. And then I started to get good enough. And that's when I like started playing on poker stars and like their daily like one dollar like three dollar rebuys, and that's when I started to like have success. And throughout this entire time, like this is when I'm posting on two plus two and like getting to know all of the um, like the early MTT grinders like Ray Coburn and Ray and I were like really good friends for a while. I start, was talking with Anski a lot, a bunch of like the early grinders. God, there yeah. are too many in a name, honestly. Like Charter was there, um, but I anyway. Mean- those boards were like full of just top shelf talent. Like it was just, it's just incredible. The, the amount of just raw talent that was oh, on, yeah. on two plus two back then. Yeah. It's, 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 it is crazy uh, to think about now. Like you look at everyone who's like crushing and like certainly everyone that's been around since those days, they all got their start on two plus two. Like every single one of them who's a crusher now, like Justin Bonomo, Ike, Mr. Tim Com, Steve Dwyer, Steve Dwyer. Um, Tom oh, DeLon, yeah. Vanessa yeah, Sells. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, everyone. Uh, too many to name, really. Uh, but yeah, so um, at that point, once I was in the, once I was in like the crowd and we started like meeting up in person, then we like kind of formed this clique where there was just like, a, we were all the age where all we did was play poker and talk about poker. And that was it. Like our first meetup was in March of, 2006 
for the um, March Madness tournament series they had at Turning Stone in upstate New York. And uh, I was one of the organizers, I think. And that was when they had like their really bad poker room. And I remember that was like my first live time playing poker ever. Like it had all been online up to that point. Um, and they hated us. Everyone there hated us. Uh, all the staff and whatever, because like their normal clientele was like, you know, 50 year, 50 plus year old, like retirees. And then come in a bunch of like 18 year old kids, like raising blind and whatnot. And they were <laughs> not happy. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, just every single time they held a tournament series, like, we were there. And honestly, a lot of us, like, went there just to play online and, like, hang out with people. But it was, like, poker summer camp. Yeah, for um, sure. The camaraderie and seeing people, I mean, that's, like, the major draw of live poker to me. Yeah, and, I mean, it was, like, you know, 18 hours a day of just talking poker. And I think it really accelerated, like, everyone getting a lot better. Like, there were huge sweat sessions. I remember when anyone went deep and, like... Uh, an F tops or something, or like a stars like Sunday. There were just like twenty people in the room, like watching and discussing lines and shit. It was a completely different world back then, but it was uh, it was like super super fun. It was like stuff I'll never forget for sure. Yeah, you mentioned so two thousand five when you snap off the thirty five hundred, right? That was when you had that first score. Yeah. Um. So 2006, first time playing live poker, which transitions into 2007, um, early 2007, you know, let's kind of bear in mind that you woke your mom up while she was sleeping to talk about this $3,500 bank. And then how do we find our way to Australia? I mean, that year and a half, like I said, every day. All we did was play poker and talk about poker. So imagine that for 18 hours a day for like... I don't have to know, imagine it, sir. Well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> for one and a half years, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's... Mm. it's Turbocharged. Um, yeah, it's just like the most intense like training. Because, you know, now we're all adult lives. And, you know, even the ones who are still full-time playing poker, like they don't do that anymore. You know, like poker's a job. They're not... And back then it was like a money factory. So like any, any time that you weren't playing was just like, you know, pissing money. Um, and I, we all kind of knew that, but I think even knowing that, like we all would have like played even more knowing, you know, how fleeting everything would be. Cause it definitely got tougher and tougher as time went on. Um, yeah. But it's still like, at least for me, like when you're just full on immersed into this new thing, it's just fun. Like, I'm not somebody that like enjoys, well, the language, the word study doesn't really resonate with me. I was not very good in school. Uh, When I think of studying just doesn't really do much for me. But when I think of like poker and learning and growing, it's like, yeah, when I was that age, we could talk poker 18 hours a day. And like, it was fun. It was exciting. Oh yeah. Um, It was everything. It was everything. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. So like for that year and a half, I'm playing constantly. I'm sure you can go back and actually look up like a ton of like two plus two threads that existed of like, you know, everyone's sweat threads are still up. So like sweat threads were when like you'd final table something and you have to do it at the final table. Cause if you do it with like one before the final table, like you jinxed yourself to, like immediately. And this was like, this was the, this was the culture. Uh, but once you final tables, mean you post something on the, on two plus two and everyone come running and like start, you know, railing in the chat and whatnot. 
Um, but you can go back and like look at all of them. And uh, just in the in in the later part of 2006, I just caught fire. Um, I just started having a ton of success. And one thing that's like even still true today, and I don't think people give this enough give this enough weight, is that when you are running well in poker, like you start playing better, like, but also like your confidence goes through the roof, which allows you to like, even if you like, you don't, even if hypothetically you're like, you're not a very good player when your confidence is super high, like it can, it can do some very amazing things for you. Like you start following through with more stuff, which is always better for you. Um, And uh, it just allows you to like go on these like insane runs um, and then once the run gets hotter and hotter, you're just like so used to running so good that you just like you're just on fire. Um, and this is the point where uh, like I started getting a little bit more like press and people started like to get this opinion of me when I was like on fire for like three months straight or whatever, like just couldn't lose a hand, fall through on every single like massive bluff and like this is when I started getting like the reputation for being like just fucking batshit crazy. <laughs> I don't know if I should be swearing as much as I am. I apologize. No, just having a conversation. No, yeah, just just a conversation. We can say batshit crazy all we want. Okay, great. Um, so like New Year's Eve or like the day before New Year's Eve, I final tabled the the second chance and the Sunday Million in the same day. At the same time, I'm both up on both screens. That was sick. Uh, and then a week later, I left for the Bahamas, and I got 22nd in the PCA in, like, a massive year. Um, and then I left – I busted from that, and I left the next day to go to Australia where I got second. And, like, that was the week that was, like, huge. I think to that point, I was the – I was the second, like, young person, like, under 21 person to, like, really, like, crush a tournament uh jeff williams uh yellow sub was the he won monte carlo like a couple months prior i think and like that was the first like you know he was our role model at that time it's like hey he did it we can do it and so uh we all went to pca and like a bunch of people made a deep like that's the year that i caxton and um and ryan doubt final tabled and had like that insane like final table yeah, the infamous um, outdoor windy with Ike's hair just kind of blowing in the wind. And my absolute favorite part of that whole thing is Havodcon. Um, just randomly randomly yelling, I'm good at basketball. And they made it made it into the, the cut. They like pans over everyone like waiting for a river card, and he's just like, I'm good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh so yeah, um make the final table. I'm just like, everything's going perfectly for me. I had never been interviewed before. I had like, well, I had like one interview in like the Bahamas a week prior, but like for final table, like I was some kid, probably slightly autistic from the, uh, from the Midwest. I had never had any of this intention on me before. And then all of a sudden I've got like all these people like asking me what I think about stuff. And I'm like, it's just like this, like you ask a question, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And, um, and I just told him what I was thinking and everyone was so mad at me because <laughs> I was just like, yeah, everyone here is terrible and I'm the best. Why wouldn't I be winning? Uh, and they didn't like that very much. Um, so I got a lot of like bad press 
And then I didn't win the tournament. I came second to Gus, uh, which was a huge deal because like Gus was like the second biggest or biggest like name of like the a full tilt at the time. It was like a full tilt tournament. I just re- realized that's the every hand revealed is that that's yeah. that tournament. Yeah, I'm the villain in a book. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, call it a novel because not all of it's uh true. Um It's a but, great it's a great book. Like just I enjoyed reading it as a poker player, which I, I don't say very often about poker books that I read. Well, it's it's kind of unique because it's like a a narrative. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a real narrative of like exactly what's like going through. It's a story, um, first and foremost, of like everything that happened in this tournament. Um, and if you're interested in poker strategy, well, there's not much in there, but uh, there's there's some, uh, and you can get an idea of like what he's thinking, and that was definitely very unique at the time. And I remember him after every hand, even on the broadcast, they were talking about him talk speaking into a yeah. dictaphone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, so I get second, and um, I remember. Three-handed play lasted a very, very long time. Uh, and I just, I won like 60% of the hands or more three-handed. I, just, I was just destroying them. And then we got heads up and I just never made the best hand. Um, but back then, like, no one played heads up. Like, very, very, very few people ever played heads up. It was never no limit. There, were, there was no literature. Like, they had heads up sit and goes, but everyone was clicking buttons. Like the only experience I ever had playing heads up was like at the end of a tournament where usually it's like pretty short stacked and everyone's just like going nuts. So you kind of just had to like fumble your way through. And I did that. Um, but I was not prepared for not making the best hand like ever. I mean, I, if you watch the heads up, which they didn't show every single hand, but if you watch the heads up, I think I win one hand. I think I win like one hand that doesn't go to showdown. It's just not good <laughs> when you're playing yeah, every it, it hand. It wasn't great. And, and it, it sucks because like that was my one that was my one big finish on the big stage. You know, I never quite made it back. I won like one Bellagio tournament after that, but like that was really my like my one big thing. Um and so uh, obviously like sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I was gonna I was gonna ask why um the in the interview, like all these players are terrible and I'm just going to kill them. How come, you know, is that a part of your personality? Like, is that just very frank um, talking shit to the the other guys? Talking shit's definitely not like part of no? my personality. Um, I just legitimately thought that, I mean, you have to understand, like back then everyone was really bad. Like, yeah, you're young too, you know, you're, right. you're how old? Well, well I was also 20? just... I was uh, I was nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Um, I was super super confident, which is not a typical thing for me. I mean, if you were to talk to me these days, like I have massive issues with confidence and like believing in myself and self worth and whatnot. But back then, like I had found something I was very good at. I was absolutely crushing everyone. I could do pretty much whatever I wanted. Um, I was already guaranteed a bunch of money. Oh, well, that, that was one thing that was funny in the interview was um, I walked in the interview and they're like, oh, what are you, you know, are you, are you worried about the money? You know, you're going to just try to ladder up or I'm like, I don't even know how much money I've made up to this point. <laughs> I was like, I told them like, how much money am I guaranteed? I don't even know. 
Um, cause I had just like had a monster stack for like such a long time. It was never a thought like, Oh, I need to outlast to the next thing. It was always like, I'm going to, I'm going to get this person to fold their big blind to me. It's going to happen. But a lot of like the thinking back then, it was, it was way more psychological thing. And emotions were like still a very real reason that people did stuff. So having this personality and this public persona of like, everyone's terrible. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. Um, that probably helped me. Um, although it did not make me popular, uh, which is funny. Cause like I, in general, I really very much care. I really want everyone to like me. Like it's an obsessive need of mine. And that may have been caused by just how poorly received I was back then. Cause I think if you spend any amount of time with me, like my current personality is like, I really have to be liked and I really want to get you to like me. And I think that if anyone were to spend time with me these days, they would quickly see that I'm nothing like what I was. I mean, it was basically half my life ago, right? I don't think anyone should be judged by what they did half their life ago. Generally. Um, I, I thank God. And I don't even really believe in God, but every day that there was never a camera on me when I was like 19 years old. It is yeah. such a godsend that what I, the things that I did was not recorded or there's no evidence anywhere. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that if, uh, if people had everything they did when they were teenagers put up for everyone to see and put under a fine tooth comb, it would not turn out well for them. Um, and I don't want to like make excuses like, yeah, I said some like brass shit. I was a teenager, and I just like, and I was, and I was about to win a shit ton of money. Um, but that's sweet. Like everyone should get to <laughs> experience that at some point in their lives. You know? Yeah. Um, I honestly, I don't even think it's something that you like. You need, really even need to like apologize for. It's just you were in no, a competition and you were pumped up and confident. Because I, I did, I did, uh, I did bum fuzzle a bunch of people. Um, and that was never my intent. Um, but it was interesting because because of the edit I got and because of everything that happened during that tournament, that would basically, like, everyone who knew who I was for the next, like, few years, especially the first few years of the World Series, um, that tournament was really, really popular. Like, it got a ton of replays on um, on media because it was, like, full tilt, tournament and they're the biggest pro like winning it and it was a huge deal so they played the shit out of it in the uk and australia just over and over and over so i was like everyone in the uk and australia poker circles like knew who i was and they all fucking hated me <laughs> so for the next few years it was really interesting but then i started playing a lot more of these tournaments and they all thought i just had nothing like a hundred percent of the time so it completely changed the way i had to play because none of them folded to me anymore. Um, they loved showing every single one of my bluffs um, on, on TV. So, like, I just completely had to change the way I play. And that affects your confidence. Like, when, when every single one of your bluffs gets called, like, you just stop bluffing. And that's not good. Like, that's not good poker. And that affected me, like, for a while. Um, but then uh, 2008, I turned 21. Um, could, could we, before we move on to, yeah. to 2008, um, just hitting this tournament, right? So 
for a second, you made a million dollars, a million Australian, right? Which looks to be around 800,000 USD. Um, $783,280 is what I received in my bank account. Yeah. How did that feel? You know, what was that like winning almost a million? Well, up to that point, that was the tournament I had the least amount of myself. Um, Like taking pieces and like selling pieces was still really, really new back then. It was like Mm -hmm. not a thing people did, but a couple people had pieces. Um, I had like 35% of myself, I want to say. And then, you know, taxes took like uh, like $100,000 or something. And then throughout the rest of 2007, I played like super massive. Um, and the year in general, like only ended up being like an average one or a good one for me. Like it wasn't even that crazy. Um, I went on a massive losing streak for the rest of the year, um, which I think was part of it was like, I was so used to just getting through every single bluff that I ever ran that I just like, just kept cannoning it off. Um, the, the sun run was over basically. Uh, but like, if you're asking, I bought a car. No, wait, no, that was the next year I bought a car. I didn't buy anything. I didn't do anything with the money. It just all went into my bankroll. I traveled more. Um, I went to Europe, like played a bunch of like EPTs and stuff like that. Cause I was still under 21. So I had to play in places other than the U S. Um, as an experience, it, how was that? You know, this kid coming, <sighs> coming from the Midwest, travel around Europe, going to Australia. I, I really, really wish that it would be. Youth is wasted on the young. Uh, I wish that it had been me now doing that because I would have had so much fun, but all I did was play poker. I played online poker. I remember I went to the um, World Series of Poker Europe for the very first year. That was in 2007. Annette Overstad won that one. Uh, and as soon as I busted the main event, all I did was play... I think it was WCOOP was going on at the time. So I just stayed in my hotel room and played WCOOP in the middle of London for like a week straight by myself. It sucked. And like a lot of my experiences were, you know, oh, there's a tournament series going on. I'm going to stay in my hotel room and do this and like eat shitty food. Um, and that sucked. Um, like I wish I could go back and like change it now or talk to myself and be like, hey, man. You should, you know, this is like a pretty once in a lifetime opportunity to like see a lot of these like huge capital cities with histories dating back thousands of years. Me now would be living at, at the at the me then for passing up such opportunities. And that's like one of those things that, you know, in the moment, it seems like the logical thing to do, but it was just, that was what I wanted to do. That was just me at the time. One well, track mind. Yeah. I mean, it's just part of it. You know, I think we were, everybody's immersed. Everybody's learning. Everybody wants to play poker. It's exciting. It's fresh. It's new. Um, you know, you still have time. You're four years younger than me, right? So there's, there's still time to go back, go back to London, spend a week there messing around. Yeah. I mean, once, uh, once the world opens back up, I'm certainly down to travel. Um, my current, uh, situation is one that I definitely want to start traveling a little bit more um when things open up so we'll see if that uh that happens i want to go to japan um for mostly for business but for you know for pleasure too i'm trying to learn japanese yeah and we'll talk about you know what business looks like to you uh after yeah we go through the rest of your story so we're about to hit 
2008, I believe. Yeah, 2008 was big because I turned 21. Um, April 2008, I remember I was there with a friend. I was sitting in the Bellagio hotel room. Midnight takes over. I'm like, I'm 21. I go down to the, uh, I go down to the cage and register for the WPT 25K uh, the next day. That was what I did. Um, five diamonds. Is that the one? Yeah. The five diamond, the WPT championship. Um, this is back when that tournament was a really, really big deal. Like it was second to the to the world series. 10 K is like the premier event in poker. It was huge. I think the first place in one of them was like $5 million one year, which is just ludicrous when you look at WPT prize pools now. Yeah, um, I, had, I had Matt Matros on, and I think he got third at that exact event for like seven fifty, and like second was like one point five, and first was like three mil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just double, double, double. Yeah, WPT tournaments. I mean, Bellagio tournaments in general, they always juiced up first place, so it was just like the only thing that mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so yeah, I I busted out of that tournament very quickly because I you know. I still hadn't adjusted and still couldn't really play live uh, poker very well because I was just like batshit crazy. Um, but uh, but then it was my first series that like in, two months later, um, it was like an average series. I had like one final table. Um, and then I remember it was like just after the series or like during the main event, um, and I was like playing poker, Bellagio, like learning to play mixed games. But I was learning to play at like 4080 because I hated money. Um, and I was like, this is what I want to do. I love doing this. I'm going to move here. And so I decided to move there later that year. Um, but I remember like the last two weeks I was in Vegas during the summer, I was staying at the wind, playing 510 uncapped no limit every single day. This is back when everything was uncapped at the, uh, at the win. So you would have one, three, uh, one, three hands that, you know, got to like five, six K pots just because, you know, people sit down with lots of money and lots of ego and they just lose their minds. And this is back when you got a lot of money in a poker, like people who didn't know what they were doing. So I remember I stayed there for like two weeks playing five ten, came down, grinded, Went back up, went to sleep, woke up, came back down, grinded. And I did that for two weeks straight. And it was the most fun that I've ever had playing poker. Um, and it was like, that was what I like. That was when I was definitely like, okay, I want this to be my life. Um, which that got going very fast. Uh, <laughs> when, I, when I started, uh, uh, when I actually lived in Las Vegas, uh, that got boring real quick. Um, so when I actually moved to Las Vegas, like except for the the few weeks, few week periods when I like was running really good, I uh, didn't have nearly as good a work ethic as when I was still visiting Vegas. Yeah, and it, so finally, what those guys told you from the jump, you know, you found your way to the cash game streets. You're like, oh, I, I, yeah. I like this cash game thing now. Yeah, and, and I still played like tons of tournament schedules, but from the like at least the ones in Vegas, because uh, there were still a ton, you know, it wasn't like anything now where there's only a handful of like 
tournament series you want to like go to in Vegas. Back then it was like every single property had a poker room and had like a 10K. So there were tons of opportunities to like play big buying tournaments um, by just staying in Vegas. But I didn't travel for a very, very long time uh, after moved to Vegas because it just like there was everything there. I didn't want to travel anymore. Like I was burnt out from traveling when I was like under 21 Sitting in but a I hotel just, room doing nothing. Yeah, exactly. Like I guess I can sit at home and do and nothing. Do nothing. Instead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just did that instead. Um, but I loved living in Vegas. I like had so many friends who lived there at the time. You know, you could play on on stars and full tilt and everything from Vegas. So like all the poker players just stayed there because like all their friends were there and like the food was excellent and like all the turn like tons of big tournaments that was were there they were going to be there during the world series for like three months anyway so yeah um the next few years that was basically it like that's all i did was just hang around vegas and i think uh i think that's when i did a lot of my growing up when like i actually developed into like a real person because before then i was just a poker machine you know that's all i did what did growing up look like for you I grew up in uh, in a little town called Muhammad, Illinois. Um, we had like 5,000 people, really small high school class. Um, my parents just pushed me to get good grades above everything else. Um, I was super strict, like by the book rules and everything. I was terrified of breaking rules. Had a lot of, uh, had a lot of not great experiences growing up. Uh, my mom, who recently passed away, uh, was really emotionally abusive growing up, like just the worst kind of person. Still coping with a lot of that shit. But yeah, like I made it through high school and like made it. I I don't know what the deal was. I was definitely like underdeveloped, like socially. And I don't know exactly like if it was just me being like a super geek or like mildly autistic or whatever it was. Like definitely like misunderstood a ton of social situations which made my confidence strangely like be really up there because i missed out on a lot of those social cues where like people may have been giving me shit and i was just like completely ignoring it but in general it was like it was kind of like a nothing because i like i was really really good at test taking and so school was always really easy um but like all I did was memorize stuff and take tests and that was pretty much it. And then like all the stuff that I was planning on doing kind of got like thrown out the window when I stumbled on poker and just got really good at it really fast. So, yeah, I don't know. Was that rambling too much? <laughs> no, it's, it's good stuff, man. Um, we were talking about you growing up, you know, what, what growing up looked like for you. I guess from coming from that, being very afraid of breaking the rules um, in a, a situation where, you know, being emotionally abused, um, growing into like a mature adult human being, like what what were the things that you focused on? Like what, what was the major difference um, in you from like age 26 to age 20? That's a really good question. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I think that I was just a completely like sheltered human for a long time. Um, you know, I didn't go to parties. I didn't like, I didn't really hang out with like 
anyone I considered cool for a very long time. Um, I had a very small group of friends who I like hung out with, but like, if you're not going to drink and you're not going to do drugs and you're not going to party, there's really nothing to do in central Illinois. So like playing card games and like playing games is like all I did. Um, and that's what led to poker. Um, but then once you get to Las Vegas and you know, you're, um, you're in your early twenties, like, and you've got a ton of money, uh, and you've got pretty much the, anything you can do. Um, but I still didn't want to do any of those things. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I still don't drink. I, I, I don't drink anything. Um, my mom was, uh, an alcoholic till the day she died. And, uh, and I really just never wanted to get into the, any, any of that. It just looked incredibly unappetizing to me. And, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, so like my, I would say that I was on a very slow learning curve, learning how to be a person because it's the kind of thing that I, that was like never taught to me. Like I, I the stuff that I think gets taught or learned in your like teens to late teens or early twenties, it took, just took me a very long time to get to that point where I was learning that stuff. And that's the stuff that I learned in like my mid twenties. Yeah. You weren't, you weren't comfortable in your own skin, basically. Yeah. Just, just being Jimmy, you know? Exactly. Um, I, I, uh, it took a long time. I was a very slow developer. Um, and I, I still probably am. Like, I feel like for the first time, I feel really comfortable as like who I am right now. But that comes with like a bunch of caveats because like, I'm still kind of like an atypical person and like who has a ton of baggage to deal with just because of my upbringing. But uh, it was, you know, really fun to meet other people who were kind of like me. Um, and I met a lot of really incredible people throughout poker um, who I consider to be my, you know, my best, my best friends and my lifelong friends. Like I think for, with very few exceptions, uh, I haven't really like become friends with anyone I could, wouldn't consider like you know a lifelong friend. I think that most people, especially in poker, have, would would say that they've met a lot of people who they kind of fell out with or like don't really want to would like definitely wouldn't trust anymore. And I don't have any of that. Like all the people who I've spent a significant amount of time with over my poker career, I would still you know consider to be family. Um, and I definitely like, you know, that includes like a bunch of, uh, business transactions where like, you know, you have to rely on someone or like, you know, staking deals where like someone puts up a ton of money, um, you know, someone loaning each other a ton of money. I've been on the, on both ends of those situations with these people. And this, just the kind of thing where like, for someone who had like a very complicated family life growing up that's kind of been like the mainstay and like the family that I've gotten used to. Yeah. I mean, we don't get to choose our family, but we can choose our friends. And I think poker specifically, there are some just amazing human beings in this world that I've, I have the same experience as you with 
a couple of exceptions of people that I'll, I will probably never speak with again um, due to, to trust issues. But in general, just lifelong great human beings that I'm very happy to to call friends. Um, and yeah, I think it is also probably more typical than you think to kind of find yourself in your 30s and be more comfortable in your own skin. Because I know that for me, you know, at least in a sample size of you and I, um, I was probably not comfortable in my own skin until I was like early 30s as well. It's hard. Um, it's, it's, it's weird because like hardship creates character. You know, and, and if you were into poker when you were really young, it means that you had some level of success to be able, you know, to be able to like make it your full-time job. And um, it means that for a little bit, you probably weren't developing as much character as some other people, you know? Oh, for I think, sure. Because I think definitely like people in our generation, their early 20s, like, it was kind of rough. Like it was a rough time period. Um, that's like right around like the great recession or whatever. Um, and I think that if you kind of like breeze through that as kind of, I did because poker was like, so that was like still a great time to play poker. Um, I kind of like didn't feel like I didn't develop as a person very well at all throughout that time period. Yeah. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Reflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I love the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow, like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. 
You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Well, let's move on to, you know, your years in Vegas, and I'm sure Black Friday has some kind of effect um, on you. Uh, let's talk about, yeah, after your four years in Vegas, what happened next? Is it related to your poker career? Was poker still, um, you know, just a mainstay in your life? Uh, well, at the end of 2012, I moved back home to help my dad run a startup. Um, it was a terrible idea and it failed miserably. Um, and then later that year, I came back out to like kind of restart over in poker because from like 2011, 2012, I was miserable. I was super depressed. Um, I like, that's when all my depression issues started. Um, I'm still a very big advocate for mental health awareness these days. Um, cause I had no idea what was happening to me, but I was utterly miserable and I didn't know what was going on. Um, so I left town to kind of like reset my brain and I came back later that year. Um, I was seeing a therapist. I was on medication and I kind of restarted everything poker wise and things were going really well. I was hanging out with some new people who I still consider to be like some of my best friends of all time these days. Um, this is after like, the mass exodus of poker players. I think it was part of the part of my depression was related to Black Friday happening, and everyone left town because they couldn't play online poker from Vegas anymore. So like all my friends left. Um, so then I, you know, found these new friends and I started kind of like relearning how to play poker because. I think that after I had like all that success, I was very stunted uh, in my development as a player because I kind of like got stuck playing one way. And like, that was when I started actually like learning um, how to play a very mathematical style compared to like the very like kind of like self-taught style that I had been doing up to that point. Um, actually, one of the people I knew was Mike Brady, uh, who's the uh, one of the execs at Upswing Poker. And he was teaching me how to play a style that was similar to what Doug Polk was playing. Um, 
and kind of like rewired my brain to think about poker in a different way, um, which helped out in everything. Cause I, I quickly got bored of no limit, but I switched back. I was always more of a, a limit player um, whenever I had a choice. When I switched back to playing limit, um, and so for the next few years, that was generally the game that I played was like limit games of Bellagio. Um, and then tournaments whenever they came to town. But at that point, like the 2013 through like 2017, Jimmy was like much more subdued much more content to just sit sit and grind cash games, like not trying to be the superstar Jimmy that existed in 2007. Yeah, just uh, improving your poker ability, having fulfillment, playing a card game. Yeah, at that point, I just knew that I, like, I was never going to try to be one of the best in the world again, like it just wasn't going to happen. I was content trying to be like one of the bigger fish in a smaller pond. I think that that is much more stable. And that's definitely like one thing when you get older is like, you start craving that stability. Um, especially now that I was like trying to be conscious of my, my uh, mental situation, like my mental health situation was like stability was something I craved. So I'd say through 2017, that's like what I was doing. And then in 2018, I decided to pull the trigger on trying to start a company that I've been kind of like developing in my mind for the past few years, which eventually launches higher level gaming, which was like a card runners or deuces cracks, like training site, but for video games. I thought it transferred over to like, competitive video games like um, League of Legends and Fortnite and like all these massive games that get like all these players, there was a huge market for getting better at these games. Uh, at least that's what I thought until the website failed miserably and we lost a bunch of money. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say the the problem with that is that um, while poker players have money to spend, uh, kids playing video games... Um, don't have as much just liquidity to drop 30 bucks a month. Yeah, it's, uh, we were, our price point was five bucks a month. Um, well, you, and <laughs> that, that's a, that's a low price point. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, and we had numbers on our side. That was the big thing. Uh, cause what we were trying to do was we get the coaches on board and we give them peace of all the people that they bring in. So they're all affil- automatically their own affiliate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the goal was to get these people to like hype up their lessons and then they, they get more money based on how many people they bring in and Did you partner with streamers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a couple big name streamers, um, and some, we wanted to like get some smaller guys who were like, you know, coming up. Um, and it just, it just never took off and never got off the, we never got off the, Never got on the first base, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, that was frustrating, but I'm really, really glad that I tried it because it's one of those things that, like, the idea was so solid. It felt so good that if I had never tried it, like, you know, you you never get to your deathbed and think, man, I wish I had taken less risk, taken fewer risks, you know? Yeah. You never get there and you're upset about the shots that you did take. You're always upset about the shots you didn't take. 
So I still would probably be livid at myself for not like taking a shot because like, oh, maybe if I did this company, it would turn out great. Um, and I learned a shit ton in that time period about, you know, what it's like to run a business. And it gave me a lot of insight on uh, like what I really wanted to do from that point on. Um, Which is? But, well, uh, the business failed in like late 2019. And in early 2020, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll go back to poker until I figure out what I'm going to do. And you can see how that turned out because <laughs> I got in two months of playing uh, live poker and then COVID happened. And, uh, and then, you know, I tried playing online on the, like the mixed game sites for a little bit and that went miserably. I didn't enjoy it. Um, the sites felt kind of rigged and, uh, I just like stopped doing anything. And I was just like, I was miserable every day. COVID was terrible. I couldn't do anything. I didn't have a way of making money. Uh, I'd gone through most of my savings. And then at some point, uh, I had like kind of restarted uh, playing Magic the Gathering in 2018 when I had started the company, just as like a hobby to like rewind or relax and um, unwind. Yeah, unwind. Uh, thank you. Um, when I got done with everything, because I-, I was so stressed from like launching a startup, it was horrible. Um, but, uh, but I started get, be, getting back into magic and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I had always like kind of been inter- interested in like the financial side of things. Cause it's just like, I don't know, it's like a mini stock market kind of, um, and it's kind of like NFTs where like every single card is its own NFT, <laughs> which I don't want to, I don't want to talk about NFTs really. But I just think that's kind of it's a it's a funny comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so I kind of organically just started like buying a few cars that I thought would be like good, and then um, selling them for profit, and very gently started like building this business on the website called tcgplayer.com, uh, and in. February of 2021, I found uh, a site that I affectionately call like the two plus two of of magic finance. And it's kind of just taken off since then. And I like put everything I had into it and things have just been like going extremely well. Um, There's, it's fascinating how deep the infrastructure goes and like how much money changes hands in this industry because it's such a massive industry. Um, and the collectibles in general have just like, just exploded during COVID. Like I missed the bus a little bit on getting super into it, but magic, Pokemon, sports cards, all of it is just like completely massive throughout the pandemic. Um, so yeah, for the past like year, almost a year, I've been doing this full time. Um, and sales have been incredible. Um, I was just learning... Oh, it's so much fun. I'm the the worst part of every day is when I run out of work to do. Oh, that, um, that that's a good problem to have. Yeah, yeah, it's um, uh, it's pretty incredible. Um, I like, like I said, I just really started getting into this like early last year, 
And when I really found like the information that would like help me get into it, it was like late February. And I have like 700,000 in sales since then, which is like pretty sick for a one man operation who like just learned to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have so much fun um, learning things. It's one of the things that I always um, like to sum up my, my skill set as is like, I'm really good for learning all the rules of a system and then learning how to beat that system. And that's why I was good at poker in the very beginning, because like it was clear that there was something messed up in the system. It was clear that there were things that people were not doing that just made everything way easier. Um, and once everyone else figures out the system, I get bored and move on to the next thing. Um, and that's what caused my issues with poker. But in this, it's such an inefficient system. And there are things that you can do that make things just so much easier. And doing those things is massive, massively profitable. So, of course, I'm going to be good at this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's um, – and right now, I'm just waiting for things to open up and start to travel a little bit more. And Because it, it's kind of fascinating, like, bringing certain cards between here and back – here, back and forth in Japan, right there. It's, you can make a ton of money doing that. And if I can see the world again, um, I'm not going to mess it up and waste the opportunity like I did when I was playing poker. I promise you that. Yeah. This uh, journey into magic, um, you, you mentioned before we turned the lights on that you're kind of retired from poker. I assume, is that like a soft retirement, just going to mess around for fun? What does that look like? I've always believed that if you're the kind of person who like, or if, if it's the kind of retirement where you say you're retiring, you're never gone because it's a conscious thing that you're trying to do. You're trying to separate. And a lot of the times, like you don't really want to leave when you do that. But if it's the kind of thing where you just fade away and you don't do it again, just because like it never comes up, it's just not something you're interested in anymore. That's the kind of thing where you never see yourself again. And I think this is, I've definitely been to the point where I tried to quit quote unquote poker by announcing like, okay, I think I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. Like when I did the startup, then I came back. Now it's more like, I thought about playing a couple events of the World Series, but it just didn't happen. And like, it didn't happen organically. And everything, everything with the business so far has been like really organic. And it's worked out incredibly well by doing that. So I'm just going to like let things come as they, as they do. Yeah. So if something poker happens, you know, it's a little bit different because like poker right now during the pandemic is like I'm being probably more careful than most because I mean, if you're going to play poker in person, like there's a huge element of risk right now. Um, hypothetically, if COVID like went away tomorrow, I might try to play poker every once in a while for fun, but like for me, winning is the most fun. Like, it's really, really hard to have fun for me if you're not winning. Uh, and I want to try and get away from having my entire self-worth predicated upon me running good. That's bad. That was very bad for me mentally. And I don't want to be in a situation where that's the case. Whereas now... I get to, you know, work every day and actually expect to make money every day and me building a business and having success is 
not predicated upon me running good. Like it's something that I can see every single day, um, yeah. that growth and that success. And that's awesome. Like that's, that's something I've never had in my entire life. Cause like we said, I started playing in, when I was 17. So like, I've never had a real job, um, where I, I felt like I was killing it. I feel like I'm killing this and that's great. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, maybe the, the, the Jimmy fricky life arc can be that sometimes you play poker and yeah, you just have fun and you leave and that's it. Um, where, you know, at least you probably have an edge, uh, uh at the table that you're playing at, but the goal is to always be is... the fish at the table. You always <laughs> want to be the fish at the table. Cause if you're the fish at the table, it means you can afford it. Depends on the that's table. Good, Depends on the table thing. you're playing at. I think. All right. We're going to move. We're going to move forward now. Go to some lightning round questions. Um, what's the most unexpected thing that, that came from your poker journey? God, I know it's supposed to be the lightning round, but I don't even know. That's a good question. Most unexpected. Oh, um, I feel like I'm a more empathetic person because of poker, um, which you would think that it would be the exact opposite. Uh, I think that's one of the things that's made me maybe consciously try to like get away from poker more is because it's hard for me to separate like the person who's who I'm playing against. I legitimately feel bad whenever I want to pot off someone like not even joking, like not exaggerating unless the person's like the most miserable person in the world, in which case winning feels amazing. Um, I feel legitimately bad whenever I beat someone in a pot. And that is really, really bad when your livelihood, like whether or not you're going to pay rent or eat dinner that night uh, is, is based upon you beating people in lots of pots. So that's not good. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, that's a classic catch 22, right? Like when, if you lose, you feel bad about your self-worth as a human being. And if you win, you feel bad because you beat somebody out of money. Um, it's just yeah, very, well, very difficult. What a surprise. I was depressed for years. Yeah. It's, it's not exactly shocking. And to be fair, you know, before I started doing this podcast, I, I used to think that like that feeling was limited to me, right? Where like you just beat somebody in a big pot. Like I played a lot of home games um, in Chattanooga and I remember specifically beating this guy, out of a pot, it was like an 8K pot at like a 2-5 game, like flush over flush. And I knew the guy personally. He's like a UPS worker. I liked him. He's a great human. And like I go all in on the river with like the nut flush, and like I know he has the second nut flush, and like he tanks forever and eventually calls, and like there was no joy in dragging that pot. I felt bad. Like I, you know, I was just like, uh, like it just yeah, it wasn't good, you know? And I, and yeah, for a long time, I, I used to think that like, I was the only one that would feel that way, but I think it's actually quite common in the poker world that, yeah, you just empathize with people and you don't want to hurt people. We're just playing a game, you know? I think, I think empathy is pretty much the most important feeling that a human can have. It's what makes society like possible. And the poker players who don't feel any empathy in like those moments is like, they kind of freak me out a little bit. You know, there are other people who have never experienced like, it's a little bit different. Like if you, if you win a massive pot off some like guy who clearly afford it, it's one thing, but like everyone in poker has played against people who clearly cannot afford to lose. And that's miserable. Um, there was one moment where 
uh, I was playing 510 Abellagio. This must have been like 2016, 2017. Um, playing 5, no, it was 2-5. Uh, I was playing 2-5, and one guy at the table it was so drunk that he couldn't put his hand in his pocket to like pull out his wallet to rebuy. And I was, and I, and I, people at the table were like, hey, man, you need help getting more money out? And I was like, are you people ghouls? Yeah. Like, what is going on? And I, I got up and I went to the floor and I like said, hey, man, this guy, this guy needs to, you know, this guy needs to be done for the night. And everyone at the table like got livid with me. And I was like, I have absolutely no question that was the right thing to do. And like, you guys are bad people. Yeah. Be human beings. Like for God's sake. Yeah. I, I just can't imagine like if I ever need the money that desperately, not even the money, like, cause you know, it's like the fish and like seven or eight grinders. And like, if I ever need like the tiny edge that desperately, it's like, what, what am I doing? Like I'll have lost a bigger part of myself that I don't deserve, you know? It's just be a good person, you know? And like, that's a situation that like, you know, if somebody's like on tilt and raging or whatever it is, and they're like bombing off, but they're in like a, they have, they have some sort of mental clarity or whatever. Like that's one thing, you know, it's like, I'm not going to antagonize anybody, but like if somebody can't stand up because they're so drunk and they're clearly inebriated, like it's just, uh, you, we just, I don't know. It just, just doesn't seem right taking advantage of somebody like I've that. I've never been drunk before. Never in my entire life. I don't drink, but I still have empathy for those people who like are to the point where they can't, you know, this guy can't even like stand up to like, they, someone offered to help him go to the ATM. Like, I'm sorry, but if someone needs help standing up to go to the ATM, they shouldn't be going to the ATM. I mean, you may as well just wait for some drunk person to stumble out of the casino and just steal their wallet. Right. Right. Like, exactly. What's, what's the difference? I mean, exactly. That point, um, it's not. It's not a game. It's not some strategic contest. It's just. It's just mugging someone. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's just that's terrible. Um, let's see. Not a very lightning question. No, not a very light. <laughs> that's the thing about this lightning round. Sometimes it's not very lightningy. Um, when you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? It's funny, like the the moments. The moments I'm happiest about because of poker have nothing to do with actually playing poker. It's just the people who I met. The the people who I would count on in any situation to like help me out regardless. Because you know, like my family history is super complicated and like I'm not really close with that many of them at all. Um, so like the first five people you'd ask, you know. I can depend on in a life or death situation are all like essentially my brothers who I've met playing poker. Um, and that's, that's something that I'll never forget for sure. And even though, you know, our life paths have like diverged and I don't speak to that many of them anymore. I think that given this, any situation, if we were to see each other again, we'd, you know, have a big hug before anything else. And that's like, that to me is something that's worth so much more than, you know, cards or, you know, winning some tournament or, you know, going to party with someone. 
you know, that's like just unbeatable for sure. Agreed. The relationships, the friendships, you know, you spend a lot of times playing cards uh, as a professional and, you know, ultimately you spend a lot of time with the same people, right? It's, and you go hang out, you go bowling, you go eat dinner. Like you, these, these relationships, the friendships that I've made in the, in the poker world. And really as somebody that's been playing poker since I was 19 as a pro for the most part, I guess, since the last couple of years I've been in the, this space of like podcasting and training. And I haven't played as much just because there's only so much time in the day. Yeah. My, my fondest memories are just spending time with friends, just hanging out, going to Venice beach and playing volleyball. Um, just stuff like that. If you could gift all poker players, one book to read, what would it be and why? God. Um, a good question. They better uh, be the lightning rounds. Better be good questions. They're they're the ones that I, I sat and thought about. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, one of my favorite books of all time is uh, a, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, and I think that one of my few gifts is like having a good sense of humor. Um, and I think that this play th- that book played a huge part in like kind of informing me and helping me develop my sense of humor i think uh everyone people probably take themselves too seriously poker players especially and they need to uh they need to look on the lighter side of life i don't know how we sit in a semi-circle playing a card game against one another i'm not sure how we could take ourselves too seriously but i but we we certainly do it's funny because like you see other other tables like start to have drama and it looks, no matter what's happening, it looks like the most ridiculous thing that you've ever seen. But then, like, when it happens to you, it completely, like, you're just like, this is the biggest injustice in the history of the world. Yeah. You know? and Fall so, under the illusion. Yeah. You've got you've to take a step back and you've got to just, like, you've got to understand that, like, this is such a ridiculous thing that we're doing, guys. Like, you can't. You can't take yourselves too seriously. Yeah, as Van Wilder says, you can't take yourself too seriously. You you never get out alive. Um, I think that's what he says. Did I? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Could be. Um, all right. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, what would it be? Oh, damn it. You can't take life too seriously. You never get out alive. I think that's the quote. All right. Ah, that, that, that's good. I like that. It makes that. more I sense. Mean- that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. If I could change one thing about poker. Um, I don't really know. Yeah. I, I, honestly, I'm two years, I'm two years, uh, two years separated from poker at this point. I feel like people have always, uh, it's, it's done a good job developing without me. I don't think I need to, in, uh, impose my, my will upon it in any way. Um, Just pocket the wand. We we could we could at least wave it and get rid of uh you know people mugging each other the drunk human beings. I would yeah I I will say that I think there needs to be better policing towards um, problem gaming um, and people who clearly like are using poker as like a huge escape from everything else or people who can't afford to like 
be losing the amount of money they're losing. I think that's that's a big deal. Um, and in general, like people who are um, abusing substances and using poker is like something they do during that. That's that's something that could probably get you know fixed. Yeah, we can wand that. Yeah. Um, if you could put up a billboard, every poker player's got to drive past on the way to the casino. What's your billboard say? Oh man. Um, <laughs> go to tcgplayer.com and buy magic cards from Vegas singles. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my business name. Uh, uh, cause man, those billboards are probably really expensive, but I'd get some sales from that. <laughs> so that segues nicely into a project you're working on. That's near and dear to your heart. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, I'm grinding, man. Um, I'm selling, I have like something like 50,000 orders in the last year. Um, if you or anyone, you know, uh, has, uh, has a magic collection from 30 years ago, it's probably worth a bunch of money. Now, the last three years have been like pretty insane. So if anyone, uh, if anyone's interested in buying or selling magic cards for, you can do with me, Vegas singles, JV at gmail.com. Um, Happy to deal with you, and uh, but I mean honestly, like I'm just putting my head down and grinding, man. Like the way I've done things is like built to scale, and I don't need to deal with the individual person because I can do things on the comeback or scale, you know. And like I'm just focusing on doing doing the work from like a data perspective, which I think. For me, the last few years, I've realized how terrible I am dealing on a person-to-person basis, taking the emotion out of it, and just putting my head down and grinding is like what I'm good at. And now I don't have to deal with my stunted, messed up emotions. And instead, I can just like do the business the way I want to do it. And that's just been an, an awesome, it's been an awesome year. And I hope that things continue on the way they are. For for my experience here in this interaction that we've had, you know, I think I think you you may be being a little too hard on yourself um, about dealing with human beings. This has been just really great. Uh, I've really loved speaking with you, getting to know you better. Um, don't be so hard on yourself, man. Um, like Van Wilder says, you know, don't take life too seriously because we never get out alive. Uh, you pre-answered this final question a little bit, but. We close on uh, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience, if they want to learn more about you, find you on the World Wide Web. I don't think you mentioned Twitter. Uh, no, uh, my Twitter is at JV Fricky um, and at Vegas Singles MTG if you, want to, if you care about the magic side of it. Um, I still have a bunch of followers for some reason. I imagine they're all bots, but I got a bunch of followers through poker and they're still there. Um, if you care, I don't tweet a ton anymore, but if you care about Vegas food, um, feel free to tweet at me. I do restaurant reviews every once in a while and help people find good places to eat during the world series. Um, and, uh, and yeah, otherwise just, you know, tweet at me if you want to talk about anything, you know, I'm pretty much an open book. Jimmy, it's been great having you on, man. Um, it's been an honor getting to know you better, hearing your story, uh, Best of luck with your new operation. Um, Yeah, 
just keep on going on. Thanks a lot, Brad. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.